0: Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast. Today's topic is Bridging the Battlefield. And I'm sitting outside right now on a beautiful beautiful May day in uh, central Florida looking out at the river and you know I'm really glad that we that we chose this topic for today. It's something that's been on my mind a lot as I record this. We are knee deep right now in taking the stage production of the play that I wrote called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, and we're bringing it to film. We're basically doing what Hamilton did with Disney+, and we're bringing this very important stage production to film. Um, there's a whole history behind that. I'm going to do some some podcast episodes on that, probably going to do a Last Out podcast series. Um, but right now, I, I think it's important to bring on this topic of bridging the battlefield. And, and the question that I will ask, and maybe it's a couple of questions, but is, you know, when we look at the, the 20 years of war, when we look at the challenges of, of veteran transition back into civilian life, are we getting it right? And if not, what are we getting wrong? And if we're getting it wrong, what's the cost of getting it wrong? And I want to explore that today on this topic of bridging the battlefield, because ultimately, what I think we all want as citizens is that when we send our men and our women off to war, whether we support that war or not, whether we, um, whether we, you know, stood against it or for it, hopefully Vietnam taught us in, in the way that some irresponsible citizens uh, villainized, vilified, dehumanized our veteran population and threw dog crap at them and things like that. Hopefully we've learned as a nation that that's not the right thing to do. That is, that is lower than low. Um, and, and it is contemptuous and it is, it's just an awful thing. So hopefully we've learned as a nation that we're not going to do that. Even if we disagree with the policies, even if we disagree with the wars, that, that we want to bridge the battlefield. That reintegrating, assimilating our veteran population back into civil society is not only important, it is an inherent responsibility of the citizen. And and, and and by the way, not just the citizen, also the veteran. But I think what we have to understand as a society, and there is a lack of understanding in my professional perspective. What we have to understand is, as a society is that for many of our veterans who are transitioning from military service, whether they did four years or whether they did 40, and for the military family as well, that it is almost like changing planets. It is a very difficult thing to do. Whether you saw combat or not, whether you were in active firefights or you were on a big forward operating base that was protected, there is a level of of stress that comes with transitioning from military to civilian that can be very challenging. Now, is it challenging for all veterans? No, no. No, some veterans make that transition with no issues at all. And they're the ones that get put out by all this. And they're like, I don't see what all the hubbub's about. Let's just get over ourselves. But look, when I see statistics, like in a recent uh, study that came out that says that almost 50% of veterans do not identify as veterans when they apply for a job, that tells me that we have a serious problem on our hands. And, you know, throughout history, human beings and societies have worked to assimilate and reintegrate veterans back into the population. Because, you see, back then there was a sense of community. Back then, there, it was a sense of clan or tribe. It was an honor-based society where mostly young men would go off and fight for the village or fight for the community And then the community knew that it had a collective inherent responsibility to bring those young men back into the fold. And again, in some cases, young women, because there was a shared burden, a shared responsibility that Sebastian Younger writes about in his book, Tribe, which by the way, if you haven't read this, you need to read this book, whether you served or not. What's Younger talks about in the sense of community and how we reintegrate warriors back into society and the cost on society if we don't, oh my God, it's so important. And it's such a quick, easy read. Also, Sebastian is on my uh, old podcast. I believe it was called The Man Up Report. Um, you can listen to him there. Um, but the point here is that there has long been in, in civil society all around the world a a, a, an underlying expectation that the community would bring the veteran back into or the warrior back into the fold and i mean think about it how how crazy would it be in let's just say you know the jungles of the amazon if a tribe launched their young warriors into battle against a rival tribe and then they win and as they come back they throw dog shit at them (laughs) and call them vile names Well, you think, well, that's stupid. Why would a a community do that? Well, is that not what we did to our Vietnam veterans? Is that not what we do in some cases to warriors now and even to our law enforcement, right? These are the very representatives of our communities. The problem is that we've become so divided, so disjointed, so divisionist, and so contemptuous of each other that we don't view our warriors, we don't view our first responders as extensions of our community. We don't view them as our blood and treasure and an extension and representation of who we are as a body. That's a problem. That's a problem, and if we have the hubris and the arrogance to think that that's not a problem— Um, look in societies where there is not rule of law and there is instead rule of clan and how that goes. So this notion of bridging the battlefield is more than just a moral thing. It's a societal thing because if we send off our blood and treasure to do a nation's bidding, and regardless of how you feel about the policy— You know, the military is a volunteer organization and there are, it's hard to refute that there are, you know, external actors, bad actors in the world that need to be kept at bay. And so the military plays that role. It does that and it does so voluntarily. These young men and women, they go off and they fight voluntarily. They serve voluntarily. They deploy. They spend holidays away from their family. They miss birthdays. They lose friends. Mothers lose sons. Fathers lose daughters. Wives lose husbands, husbands lose wives, and children lose parents. And this is a real thing. And even those who don't experience the the, the most devastating loss, we lose time. We lose exposure to um, freedom. We give up our freedom. We give up our our you know, all of the things that people are taking the time to bash each other over the head with with axe handles right now. Veterans give all that up so that. A free society can have those things at home so that they can go and preserve those things so that they can be, so that we can bash each other with axe handles here at home. Um, so, what's the cost of not bringing those men and women back into the fold? Well, first of all, it's a moral violation of an agreement that you made with them, whether you signed that agreement or not. You know, for the most part, I find that civilians are more than happy to have a first responder, a police officer, or a a warrior stand between them and a threat. And all the tough talk and all the Civil War talk and all the whatever about how bad these protectors and warriors are oftentimes are spoken by people who've never had one of them stand between you and someone who means to do your children harm. So sorry, it's just where I come down on that. So, you know, it's a moral obligation that we have, but more so, these are immensely talented people. The military family members and our veterans, our warriors, they are immensely talented people. And it is as if the nation kind of got that. We kind of got that after 9-11. You know, we rolled out, gosh, I think there's been over a million people have served in the military since 9-11. We have over 20-some thousand getting out of service and 20-some thousand going into service every day, even now. Right As this 20-year war in Afghanistan winds down, by the way, we're still in Iraq, we're still in Syria, we're still in sub-Saharan Africa, still in Colombia, still in those rough places that most people don't even know exist. And the others are standing guard, they're deploying out, doing training exercises, missing holidays, missing family time, missing birthdays, to honor their commitment. So will we honor ours? Will we honor our commitment to them as a civil society? I did a podcast, of I don't know, a few weeks ago talking about, I think it was from Yellow Ribbons to Dogshit, about how we are not honoring our commitment to our veterans and that there will be a cost to that. We, there, there's a cost that will be paid for that as a civil society. So, But even organizationally, at the business level, you know, when... Um, when, the, when the war started, there was this clamor to do everything that we could to support our veterans. And maybe some of that was guilt coming out of Vietnam. We didn't ever want to do that again. But I think also it was such a devastating blow on 9-11 to see how close the attacks came to home and how much of our citizenry was lost that we really, you know, kind of rallied and got behind, uh, particularly the, around the Afghan front, the veteran population and, and that fight. Um there was you know Budweiser commercials and country music songs, and you know there was a real uh effort to support our veterans and even you know it was almost taboo to to say anything counter to the veteran population, which it must have been i gotta think was very difficult for those protesters, and I know they're still around who threw dog shit at my uncle, I wonder that must did they go in a twelve step program did they have to go into therapy for that, or did they just um did they just save the feces knowing that maybe the, that it, that time would come back around and maybe that's what's happening now. I don't know if that was my inner monologue or not. I think it, maybe it was. Um, but you know, for the most part, there was a collective movement to get behind the veteran population. The problem was it was a well-intended effort, but it didn't really bridge the battlefield. It didn't really bridge the caustic, corrosive nature of what combat is, because that's the thing that when people ask me all the time, business leaders, HR leaders, even people on my team who have never been around the military, they're like, Scott, help me understand what is the gap that happens? I mean, I see that there is a gap so many times and you hear veterans talk about how they feel forgotten they don't feel understood we have 22 veterans a day taking their lives we have veterans self-medicating we have veterans that have just kind of checked out Um, we have civilians on the other side saying like feeling like they're walking on eggshells as hr leaders or bosses there's all the stigma that's come out from movies that either portray veterans as superhuman door kickers or just completely broken and could snap at any minute with a pts outbreak Um, You know, there are also civilians who look, and there was a recent study by Duke Fuqua School of Business uh, that says that many employers do not, while they think veterans have, um, you know, a can-do attitude and and the ability to grind, they don't feel comfortable putting veterans in client-facing positions because they don't think they have the emotional intelligence or the interpersonal skills. Now, that is really disturbing to me because... A, I think we do play into that sometimes with veterans. I think we are portrayed that way through movie and film. That's why I wrote the play last out. Um, but also, I think that um, there is a real misperception in the civilian population about who veterans are and what we're about. So I just described quite a few of those overt, external, palpable gaps. And, you know, what does that mean? How does that show up? Well, Organizationally, you know, I just gave you a stat that almost fifty percent of veterans don't identify as veterans because they're afraid of that stigma. They're afraid of how they'll be portrayed. They'll, they're afraid uh, that they'll it'll be held against them. You know, just like many other minority voices, they don't feel safe. But. A lot of the diversity and inclusion programs, I see there is a veterans-based resource group in there, but quite honestly, they've been overshadowed by all of the other uh, issues that are going on around diversity and inclusion, and those are very valid issues. I'm not bringing that up at all, but, you know... I challenge you to find a diversity and inclusion program in any Fortune 500 company or midsize company that doesn't have a veterans-based resource group. But normally, that veterans-based resource group is radically disconnected from the, the leadership and from the organization itself. And I feel like that's a real shame, but I think it's representative of the problem you know and in my in my view the veteran population i mean these are men and women who volunteered to go serve and fight for their nation they are usually pretty well educated they are very well trained they have learned Levels of personal responsibility that most of their peers could not even fathom. They have dealt with interpersonal situations abroad that were life and death and would make most seasoned diplomats choke on a diplomatic hairball. You know, that what they've had to do to make connections in rough moments are really staggering. And so these these veterans in a lot of, and their family members, you know, their family members have lear- had to learn how to prioritize multiple tasks, how to play multiple roles. The children have had to accelerate in maturity massively faster than their peers. In most cases, the parents or the spouse who is left at home has to handle tons more responsibility, learns how to prioritize, learns how to multitask, which I'm not a fan of multitasking, but they, they learn versions of that rapid sequencing. They learn ways to cope uh, with things by by helping their spouse come home and and deal with you know mental anxiety. They're just they're assets, they're treasures. and that we have these assets and treasures in every organization. and they are all races. They are all religions. They are all backgrounds. I, I feel like it's such a manifestation of true, you know, diverse diverse diversity and inclusion. It really is. Like the veteran population represents all of that. And they've learned some things along the way. You know, they've learned, uh, they've learned a lot about crises. Like the things I feel like the veteran population was woefully undertapped during COVID. You know, we could have tapped into, they've been through persistent crisis. They understand uncertainty. They understand remote work and isolation and how to prioritize and get after the immediate and 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 also to think about the long term at the same time. They know how to divide time and space. There were so many things that we did at Rooftop that we tapped into that we weren't doing when the crisis happened, where we bridged the battlefield. You know, in fact, uh, we're a speaker trainer company. We lost a lot of our business, like many of you, when COVID hit. Let me take a drink of my coffee. And you know, we had to do a massive pivot because we didn't have any options. And so, you know, what we did was we we said, "All right." We're just going to serve. We're just going to serve businesses right now. We're going to put it out there for free. So I shot a video series right out in the backyard, close to where I'm recording right now, called Leading Through Chaos. And it was multiple modules. And I think at last count, I want to say, man, somewhere around 700 people have watched that multi-module course. And again, we put it out there for free. But the whole premise was, you know, I spent multiple tours in combat, SF, Green berets by definition go into places that are in chaos and crisis that are that are persistent and uncertain and there's isolation and fear and I, why not share some of those lessons with business leaders who in a in a civil society that is typically you know where there is abundance and you know the only chaos you have is you know every now and then something blows up not physically blows up but like something you know something happens on the assembly line or you know you you have a product go bust but for the most part the, the highest level that civilians were dealing with at that point was complexity, you know, and, and, but now we were in just in straight up kick-ass chaos. So we went in there and we bridged the battlefield and I used storytelling. I told stories from the past in my times in Afghanistan, working in operation center where we had to prioritize communications procedures to make sure that we flattened the, I mean, all that. And, and, and I just, I shared the stories of that world to bridge into the current world that we were in. But I got to tell you, everybody, um, I was really disappointed in how little we leveraged the veteran population to navigate that crisis. I feel like as a a civil society, if I were going to grade us on how we came through this crisis, I'd give us like a D plus, maybe an F. I feel like our leaders were on both sides of the aisle were divisive. They were divisionists. They fomented contempt in in advance of uh, 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 their own limited agenda. I feel like they, um, they politicized COVID. I feel like our citizenry, we quit on each other. We did not come together as the as the Brits did in the bombing of London during World War II. We did not come together as we did on 9-12-2001. In fact, we we actually projected contempt on our neighbor uh, as if they were the enemy, and we when we and we spoke in moral superiority of them. Yeah, I'd give us a D plus solid, um, I, and, and and I feel like we did not leverage our veteran population, and frankly, I don't think our veteran population delivered either. Um, I think there's more things that I could have done. There's more things that we could have done. So, you know, here we are coming out of this year plus long crisis. Um, The CDC has declared at the recording of this that masks are no longer needed if you're fully vaccinated. And there is at least some indication that we're going to reemerge. But how will we reemerge? How will we come out of this year plus of persistent fear, isolation, uh, and uncertainty. My indicators right now are that we're going to come out at each other's throats. We're going to come out of this thing with fear-based and anger-based behavior. We're going to come out more divided than when we went in. And look, I'm not trying to paint doom and gloom, but you know, this podcast is about empowered local leadership. And so, if we don't understand our operational Im- imperative and our operational environment, then how can we lead? You know, and bridging the battlefield organizationally. If you're listening to this, whether you are a veteran or a civilian leader. We've gotta bridge the battlefield. We've got to bring our veteran population into the fray. You know, our veteran population ha- and their military families, they have a level of competency and understanding and leadership skill. We need them in the game, everybody. We need them in the game. We have 20,000 veterans coming out of service every month, but yet 50% of them are not even identifying as veterans when they go in for a job. And that tells me as a civil society, as businesses, we're in trouble. And, and a lot of it is, and I go back to, believe it or not, I'll make it back to what I started with, was this well-intended post-9-11 effort to send veterans to the Super Bowl, vet ticks. And I'm not knocking vet ticks. I love vet ticks. We used vet ticks for the play. Um, but, you know, in terms of reintegration and assimilation, like it doesn't really get to the level that we need to get to. Um, hire 100,000 vets and we throw them into jobs. Yeah, that's great. Hire a hero. But but we're not necessarily bridging the gap. Because no matter what we do, we have to understand that the world of the veteran, planet veteran, is a different planet than planet civilian, okay? And let me just kind of break that down for you. First of all, the veteran world, the warrior world is a tribal world. It's a primal world. If you hear me talk about that, it's a world where it kind of uses old school values and norms to build a society of bonding trust, right? Because think about it. If you're going to go off and fight, you have to be bonded with the woman and man to your shoulder. Do you not? I mean, if you're like just kind of wondering if they're with you or not, or if you actually like them, or did she, is she the one that cut my legs out for me in the budget meeting? (laughs) Like you can't have that in a firefight. I give an example in one of my webinars a while back where you know, you're in a foxhole next to your buddy and you're being flanked by the Taliban and they're about to overrun you. And all of a sudden, as they're coming up on you and with their bayonets glistening in the sunlight and their, their, their sinister grins on their faces, you turn around and you see your buddy next to him and you punch him in the face because you think he may have uh, he may have tubed you in the meeting you were just in. And so you just punch him in the face and you got to start the fighting while the enemy closes on you. And everybody's like, well, that's stupid. That's crazy. Is it really? Is it really? Because it's kind of what we're doing in the country right now. But... You know, the fact of the matter is the military is an honor-based society. It, it is built around honor and shame. It is built around cl- group, grouping behavior, in groups and out groups. And uh, you learn to navigate the world, your status as a warrior – is literally based on how you are viewed by your peers, by your teammates. And you know a fate worse than death is to be cast out by your team. Everything is about the team, whether it's a squad, a squadron, an A-team, it's all about the team. As an individual, you are rooted out of the military. You will not survive. You are called a spotlight ranger and you're pushed out. Well, guess what? When you leave the military and you transition to planet civilian, on planet civilian, the team is an is an anomaly it is something that we love to use the word we love to talk about it but it's not really a thing in most places some people have figured it out some organizations some businesses but for the most part the collective or if you like uh, to use de Tocqueville's phrase individualism rightly understood you don't see that very much it's mostly just individualism trying to get credit right and 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 if that offends you i'm sorry but but it you know just step back and look at it um Modern society, as we understand it today, is built on transactions. It has evolved to a lot of materialism. The tempo is radically different. And in civil society here in the United States and other Western societies, we put the individual above the group. You know, that's just what we do. And, and as a result of that, people can pursue their dreams. They can achieve abundance. There's freedom. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. But if it's not individualism rightly understood, then it tends to devolve and it starts to go into isolation. We st- we start to get back into some form of shadow tribalism. We start to divide. You know, listen to my other podcast and you'll, you'll hear how this plays out. Well, and then it starts to become every person for themselves, right? So rather than being evaluated in your status as as a team member who brings honor to the team and then you are chided or cast out if you bring shame to the team, that's what happens in the the Marine Corps. Um, If in the civilian world, your status is determined by how you're viewed as an individual, right? It's about achievement and guilt. I achieve this so I get credit. Or I feel guilty if I don't do this, right? It's all internal stuff, where in the military, it's external. So think about what a hard shift that is for a young warrior or a seasoned warrior to go from this world that is everything about the team and then to go into a world that's all about the individual, you know? Um, now, here's the thing, and Younger talks about this in his book, Tribe. Can a brother or sister get some community these days, right? Because what Younger makes a plea for is like, as the citizen, we've got to realize that maybe the world that we've built, this modern world, maybe it's not as squared away as we think, right? Maybe we should take a look at what the military has built. And while it's not perfect, while it certainly has its issues... There is some elements of community and honor that we could bring in. So could we start to reset ourselves at a business level? So if you're listening to this as an HR leader or a business leader, where it's individualism rightly understood, there is a sense of community, there is a sense of team, and we look at our veterans, we look at our military family members, we look at our Gold Star family members, and we say, can you help us bridge this gap? Right, So it's not just us, oh, let me help the poor veteran bridge the gap. No, we look to our military, we look to our our military families, and we say, you all have run the seams in a world that required teamwork, that required honor, that required a sense of connection, and frankly, getting beyond race, getting beyond primary identity to a bridging vision that was bigger than you are. Could you maybe share some of that with us? I haven't heard CEOs, COOs, mid-level leaders say that In a very long time, right? I hear them honor veterans. I hear them thank them for their service. But do you really sit down around a campfire and let that young staff sergeant tell you about what it was like to lead women and men when they all thought they were going to die? What if we listened like that? What if we asked thoughtful, open-ended questions like that that let our veterans share with us the gold of their experience, which we are not tapping right now. And in so doing, we will validate their existence. We will validate their journey, and we will reassimilate and integrate our veteran population and their families in a way that tribal societies have done for centuries through story, through active listening, through thoughtful, open-ended questions. And then these veteran-based resource groups could really start to serve their purpose. We could really use them as a way to promote understanding. They would feel included and they would share, I'm talking tremendously valuable assets on their journey that in this time of low trust, distraction, and disengagement, and frankly, crisis, we need it. Now, at the same time, there is an inherent obligation on the part of the veteran and the military family member. We have an obligation to reconnect to our purpose, to kind of get over our own shit. Now, that does not mean, I'm not, because believe me, I have my own survivor's guilt. I have my own issues. I stood in a closet and almost took my own life. I am not telling the veteran, hey, get, feel better, man, get over it. I'm not saying that. I am saying that we have an inherent obligation to to find a way to let go of the pain and come home. You deserve it. You fought for it. And we need you leading us. I need you leading us, leading our children. The the, the workforce needs you leading us. We need what you've earned in combat and in military service to share with us here at home. But in order to do that, we have to realize we're no longer on planet veteran. And frankly, the world doesn't owe us a damn thing. And even if they do, it's not coming. Nobody else is coming. It's up to us to recognize that our identity is not just in the uniform. Our identity, our primary identity is no more veteran than it is white, black, Asian. You know, we are deeper than that as human beings. And we have to recognize that. So it starts with us as veterans realizing that we have an inherent obligation as well to move back into planet civilian, to overcome those bumps. And guess what? Rather than dismissing the civilian population around us, rather than looking at our peers and teammates at work going, man, those people just don't get it. They don't know what it's like. And rather than, you know, like somehow withdrawing into our own in-group and talking about what life was like when it was hard— That's fine. We've got to do that just like any other resource group, but that should not be an excuse to exclude ourselves or to point ourselves out as so different that we can't assimilate. We need to look at the world that our civilian brothers and sisters live in, and we need to lead and, and step in and help, right? Our race isn't done. Our race is just starting, And we need to step in and help. In order to do that, it starts with our identity and our purpose. We've got to reconnect to our purpose and realize that our purpose, yes, a lot of it was the military, but we still have a race to run. And there is still ascension to do. And it's very much in the cards for us to do that. Now I'm switching the big eye of Sauron back to the civilian, back to the HR leader, back to the C-suite leader. We need your help. You know, the reason that I was able to come out of that dark closet and put that pistol away was because some civilian leaders saw what I was going through and they helped me. They partnered with me to get over the PTS, to move through the trauma, to move through the guilt and the loss, their speed bumps and their injuries, not illnesses in many cases, not all cases. You know, some of our folks will require our care for the rest of their lives, and we should always do that. But for the bulk of the veteran population, what we experienced in combat or military service or just the stress of transition can be overcome, but we cannot do it without civilian partners. And that's why these VBRGs are so important, because if civilian leaders can realize that just connecting with your veterans at a visceral, primal level you're going to validate them you're going to they're going to feel seen and heard and they're going to share the gold with you and there's going to be a level of connection that is deeper accelerates trust and it leverages the collective of the veteran community now as tremendous horsepower for your impact in your business and your bottom line and i've seen it time and time again when it's done right and this isn't just true for the veteran population this is true for all of your resource groups right but we've, now, how do we do that? Well, I think that one of the most important ways is to bridge the battlefield, right? And bridge the battlefield through storytelling. Storytelling is how warriors for ages were assimilated back into tribal society. They would sit around the fire and the warriors would tell stories of what it was like to, f- to serve, what it was like to go to war. And they would share the lessons they learned. They would share the pain. And the community would absorb those. That's the power of communal storytelling. They would absorb those things. And it's more than just thank you for your service. It's more than just giving somebody a job because you feel guilty and you don't really want to have to feel that quiet discomfort as you stand next to a veteran with a Vietnam War hat and wonder what was done to him when he came home to the airport, right? So just thank you for your service. It's not a pass, what we have to absorb that. That's why I wrote the play last out because I want the civilian leader to sit next to that veteran, to sit next to that gold star mother who lost her daughter on the battlefield. And I want you to feel what it was like to have that chaplain come to the door. I want you to feel what it was like to hold your friend in his final moments. I want you to feel what it was like to hear your son's voice over the phone on his birthday. I want you to feel that not because I'm mad at you, not because I'm contemptuous with you. I need you to feel it. I need you to know that you get me. I need you to look me in the eyes and know that you see where I've been and that you want me to be home and you value what I have to say. Because if you don't, I don't know if I can stay here. I don't know if I'm relevant. Do you understand This is about citizenry. This is about community. This is about brotherhood and sisterhood. And it has been thousands of years old and it is all built around story. And we can do this. The play that we've got now coming out to a film, it is opening people's eyes left and right, right? And we're sitting down with DBRGs all over the country showing the film and then having talkbacks and then using veteran storytelling and civilian storytelling to bridge the gap. And it works, And you can do this in your own company. You can do this in your own community. You can do this across the the racial lines, the religious lines. I'm telling people today, listen, spend a lot more time doing what Dr. Benjamin Hardy says, which is be an empathetic witness to the other party before you think of any judgment or you pass any kind of moral superiority or speak in a whisper of those people. Have you been an empathetic witness? Have you asked thoughtful, open-ended questions that let the other party just tell you their story? Have you tried to see the pictures in their head and have you listened with pure curiosity, discovery, and delight to understand their goals and their pain before you offer unsolicited advice or judgment or some kind of moral position? Probably not. That's the work in front of us right now as leaders and Bridging the battlefield is such an important thing to do. There is so much untapped value that the cost of not doing this is not only do we violate something at the level of our soul, and I think there's a price that's much deeper that we'll pay for this, but we're leaving tons of value on the table. Businesses are leaving value on the table, communities are leaving value on the table because we're just dismissing the veteran as, oh man, that makes me, you know what, thank you for your service. Thank you for, no, man like this we need your help and not in your help like take care of me just partner with me and let's get over these couple of bumps and let me get in the game and lead and play the position i know how to play right it is it is a it is a partnership in transition that is decades in the making, and we still haven't got right yet. And a lot of the data coming back from these early programs that we felt so good about is actually showing that veterans are leaving the job in their first year in droves, creating tons of turnover. Uh, hiring managers don't even know how to get below the waterline and ask the questions that bring out the real innate veteran talents. Only 30% of veterans work in a job that is was their primary job in the military. But yet they've got all these innate resources of leading through conflict, courage, Uh, how to deal with resiliency that they could share and lead us with. And our veterans, we've got to help get in the game too. So that's my ask right now as we wind this thing up, is take a look at your community, take a look at your business, and ask yourself, are we really bridging the battlefield right now? Are we being attuned to the other party? Are we seeing our resource groups as true potential horsepower? Or is it just a VFW where they dress a little better? right? Are we using storytelling and narrative to really ask those questions that let us tell each other our story. And the civilians should tell their stories too. We need to hear them as veterans. And I'm telling you, I do it around fire pits. I do it in the boardroom. I do it over Zoom. And the level of trust that it accelerates and the bridging that happens is horsepower and rocket fuel for your business, your organization, and your community. That's what we're doing at Rooftop Leadership. That's what we're building in this world. That is Rooftop Nation. 10 million inspired rooftop leaders in 10 years. And it starts with bridging the battlefield. So take a look, see where you can play that game. Contact us at rooftopleadership.com, reach out through a booking inquiry, and we'll help Like, we're here to do that. And also our nonprofit, The Hero's Journey, um, that's H-E-R-O-E-S. Our film, Last Out, if you go to lastoutfilm.com, that sucker's coming out, uh, at least at the recording of this, in limited fashion on Memorial Day. And you can just watch. Watch how storytelling can bridge the gap and inform civilians on the cost of war and validate to the veterans and the family members and the gold stars, the sacrifice, and ultimately how it bridges, how it connects, Right. This is stuff you can do right now. I hope you'll stay with us. I hope you'll continue to share this podcast with other rooftop leaders. Let's get this thing going. This is Rooftop Nation taking the microphone back from the amateurs. Thanks for what you do. I'll see you on the rooftop.